Good morning again, everybody. Welcome to New Anthem Church. So glad you chose to spend your morning with us. I know there's a lot of things you can do on a Sunday, especially Super Bowl Sunday. There are avocados to peel and wings to sauce, so I get it. Uh, This is a responsibility that I do not take lightly, so I'm glad you're with us. I read uh, 105 million pounds of avocados consumed today. Today. I'm going to eat my body weight. I know that. So, uh, but hey, you picked a great Sunday to choose to come to church because we're starting a brand new series today called Home Wreckers, which since we're going to spend the next month in this series, let me tell you the intent behind it. We live in a world that frequently messes up relationships, don't we? I mean, uh, you think about all the bullying that happens in schools or the fact that people have to be fired from jobs. I'm sure you've been in relationships where you've been broken up with or maybe you did the breaking up or maybe you just got some bad advice. It, uh, relationships do not always go as planned. Now, there's a number of reasons why it happens. It, it could be you. It could be them. Again, it could be some of the advice you got, some from your friends or family or whoever. I know when I first started dating, my dad gave me some advice. He said, hey, son, you should always have a woman who likes to work in the home. She'll clean and she'll uh, keep things tidy. She'll cook. He said, you should have a woman who can make you smile or laugh. She needs to have a sense of humor. And he said, you should always have a woman you can trust. You know, someone that's not going to lie to you. And then you should have a woman who enjoys spending time with you, not just spending money. And they said, above all else, you should always, always, never, ever let those four women meet each other. Right? I mean, that's just, that's it's ridiculous. That's funny, though. I don't care who you are. But he never said that, actually. But, uh In all seriousness, relationships in this country really are not good. You can watch any news program, just see devastating, heartbreaking stories about torture, abuse, molestation, even murder. Maybe some of you have experienced some of that or seen some of that firsthand. Furthermore, in all honesty, I really don't think that you have to believe in God to realize that something is broken. You can look around, see the amount of divorce and depression, the need for social work and foster care that we have in this country. It doesn't take a belief in God to say, you know what? Something is not working. Maybe there's a better way. The problem, though, is if you don't believe in God, then you'll have to turn to culture for the answers to the relationship problems. And there's a number of people in this world who have an unhealthy fixation about who's dating who and and what should we do. And we look to people like Brangelina and Kim Ye, and we like to observe what they're... If you don't know who that is, don't worry about that. That's Anyway, but we like to believe that, that because they are these famous stars and have tons of money that we should do what they're doing and we should go where they're going. We need to wear what they're wearing, which none of that honestly makes sense to me, but it doesn't have to. My job is to help you through these relationship problems that we see in the world. Because oddly enough, the God of the universe, the author of relationships, has some pretty great advice about how to do them. And so the question that I'm trying to answer during these next four weeks together is, can we learn how to have healthy relationships, especially when that's not what's predominantly being modeled for us? 
Like, how can we have relationships that aren't going to wreck our homes or wreck our workplaces or wreck our schools? Maybe I'm just naive, but I believe that great relationships are possible. However, they are not very probable if you're following the world's way. So full disclosure, this is going to be much more of a teachy series. Generally, I like to take a passage or a a specific thing in the Bible and break down a story, but this is going to be much more topical in nature because uh, here's what I did. I tried to research what people attributed the strife in their relationships to. In other words, what factors caused their relationships to break down? Any relationship could be marriage, could be parenting, could be school, could be work. Basically, as I sat down to study, I tried to figure out what causes people to get fired from their job. What causes kids to get bullied in school? What causes coaches problems with players? What causes strife in marriage? Like if there are 10 things that wreck people's relationships, lives, what what are those 10 things? Then when I felt I had an answer to those questions, I asked myself, self, what correlations do we find within these 10 things? For simplicity's sake, I wanted to know, uh, can these 10 things be you know, laser focused down into just four things? Since we only have four weeks in February, are there just four common themes within broken relationships that we can talk about? Ironically enough, there were. So then I asked, well, what does God have to say about those four things? Because he's the only one that can really solve our problems. And I tell you what, he says a lot. We won't have time just in our month together to dive into everything that God says about relationships. But I hope in your small groups you can explore more in depth everything that we discuss here this morning and in the weeks to come. But there is one specific passage I want to draw your attention to uh, as we kind of dive into this series. So if you brought a Bible, I hope you did. Go ahead and grab it. And you're going to find Romans chapter 12. Romans is towards the back of your Bible, a place called the New Testament. You will see this passage every single week here in February because I feel like it's that important and it really summarizes the entire context of uh, this series. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's fine. You can follow along in the notes that you should have received or we'll put the passage here on screen as well. Uh, if you're using a device, great. Click to Romans chapter 12. We're going to pick it up in verse 2 entire point of the series right here in this passage. It reads, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Then, when? When God changes how you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. You can see when you allow God to transform how you think, in our case, about your relationships, and and if you're wrecking them or not, then you'll find out what He intended for those relationships to look like. And here's the kicker. They'll be good, pleasing, and perfect. Now, who wouldn't want that? Good, pleasing, and perfect relationships. I think too often we feel like God's trying to keep something from us. He doesn't want you to have these good relationships. And and the reason most people don't want to do what God says is because they think that He's keeping something from them over here. And so they try and get over here and do whatever they feel like uh, they want. And listen to me, it's not true. This just said, God has a good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life. 
So listen to me. If that's not true, if we can't believe that, then what else isn't true? You tracking with me? I mean, if we, if we can't believe this part of Scripture, then we can't believe anything else. And we can't believe about the redemption of sin and all these other great things that are the point of the Bible. But this is true. God does have a plan, and hopefully we can discern some of it today. So if you're taking notes today, I would encourage you to take notes. I read that uh, 70% of people that take notes won't go to hell, uh, so that's a good... <laughs> that's not true either. Ridiculous. Uh, but you might want to jot this down. The best way to work on us is to start with me. The best way to work on us, our relationships, is we have to start with me. I don't know if you'd be able to articulate this or not, but what I have found in my time as a pastor is that most people believe other people are the source of all that ails them. Every problem in their life can be attributed to somebody outside of their life. You know, if we could just fix these losers over here, not, not you guys, but I mean just in general, all the losers, then we would solve our problems in life. But the best way to work on us is to start with me. And if that bothers you, then I might refer you back to Romans chapter 12 that says we need to allow God to change how we think. You see, we're not asking God to change how you think, how other people think. We're asking God to change how we think. And I want us to change how we think about communication. Communication is today. I believe hours of research back me up on this, that the number one home wrecker, the number one thing that can cause strife in your life is communication. I don't know if you've noticed this, but communication in this country has become particularly divisive. It's literally outrageous how vile, vulgar, and vicious the world has become with language. In fact, I was just at a basketball game the other night, sitting in the stands. There were some kids behind me, no older than 15 years old, and the things that were coming out of their mouth were literally repulsive. General, I, I honestly cannot repeat that here in church. Fortunately, my kids were down off playing on the other side of the bleacher, so I didn't have to turn around and cause a scene and be like, are you serious right now? Uh, that could have ended badly for everybody. But lest you think I'm some prude pastor just making stuff out of nothing, social scientists have actually noticed this trend. There's a remarkable amount of research that demonstrates how TV dialogue has changed over recent years. Words you would have never heard 20 and 30 years ago, even on cable TV, are now just common rhetoric in television, basic television for that matter. Furthermore, because of things like the internet and being able to comment anonymously on posts, people have felt more liberated to just say whatever they want. Because you no longer have to have a conversation with somebody face to face and you can just type whatever you want. Uh, People think they can just say and, and remark and comment however they feel necessary. I guarantee you much of what gets communicated online would never have even been thought about if you had to sit down and say it face-to-face with that person. In fact, it's gotten so bad, uh, our inability to communicate has gotten so bad that researchers have shown the average millennial, so age 18 to 35, they cannot even carry on a face-to-face conversation when social cues are necessary. 
so you realize that communication, only a small part of that is word choice, right? I mean, how we communicate, our body language, the, the uh, tonal uh, words that we use. Uh, I'm sure you've heard it said, it's not what you said, it's how you said it, right? I mean, so uh, when social cues are necessary, researchers are finding millennials can't even carry on the conversation, One point of the article I read was that we as a society are literally losing the ability to talk to one another. Why? Emojis. Because you can just emoji whatever you want. Is there an emoji for how I'm feeling right now? And yeah, there's an emoji for that. And so you just type in your emoji and you don't actually have to communicate with anybody. And we are quite literally dumber because of it. I don't know how to express it otherwise. We need to learn how to communicate with one another again. Now, to a certain extent, I totally get it. Communication is very difficult. I once uh, heard about a guy who came home from work and found a note on the refrigerator. It said uh, from his wife, it said, this isn't working. I'm at my mother's. So the man opened the fridge, light bulb came on, he felt in there, it was cold. He's like, she's always overreacting. Fridge works fine, right? I mean, she wasn't talking about the, fr- the fridge, right? Okay, so, okay. Uh, I'm going to help you today. Don't worry. Because communication is hard. There's all these words we have to know. There's implications that we have to assume. And if people aren't able to clearly outline what they're feeling, it makes your job that much more difficult. The good news for all of us today, the Bible can help. Bible's got some great advice on how we can solve our communication problems. Check this out. Proverbs 18:21. The tongue has the power of life and death. And James, Jesus's brother, said this about it. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. What's the point here? The point is, your tongue, your words, how you communicate, it has power. It has so much power that only two outcomes are possible. According to the Bible, you are either speaking life in to people, or you are taking life out of people. The power of your words and how you communicate, it's either life-giving or it's life-taking. It's the power of life and death. I'll say it this way. The words you speak are creating the relationships you have. The words you speak are creating the relationships you have. If you want to give me some life today, you can say amen to that because that was really good. Uh, Yes, the words you speak have power. It's the power of life and death. So let's talk about what not to do first, okay? What, what are some examples of life-taking communication? I found four. Number one, withdrawal. Withdrawal. This is a life-taking form of communication. This is what some people call the silent treatment. This is removing yourself from all communication with somebody, If you're married, this is when you lay on the very edge of the bed, so you don't even have to touch the person you don't want to talk to, right? Don't talk to me. Don't look at me. I'm going to roll over my back to you. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. This is is a silent treatment. Don't touch me. I'm withdrawing myself from any interaction with you. Until you see my side of the argument, I'm not going to acknowledge your presence. 
I don't often quote Dr. Phil, but I will right now. He says, and how's that working out for you? Right? (laughs) Not good. Not good. Because withdrawing yourself from communication is not life-giving. It's life-taking. There's only two types of communication. This is not a helpful one. I've never had Laura come up to me and say, you know what, all this time without you talking has been super helpful. I see how wrong I was and how right you were. Right? It's never happened, okay? Uh, probably not, okay? Life-taking. It's life-taking. Withdrawal. Okay, what's another one? Belittling. Number two. Belittling. Excuse me, escalation. We're on escalation. Belittling is number three. Escalation. Escalation. This is using louder voices. This is, I don't feel like I'm being heard, so I'm going to start yelling and being expressive with my communication because you're simply not getting it, and tempers begin to flare. What's kind of interesting about escalation is they've actually studied this, and they found that when a man's heart rate gets over 100 beats per minute, he literally loses all ability to have rational thought. They've put... Uh, no, I'm, this is... An, I, I, I've documented sources on this. They put men in an MRI, they raise their heart rate, and their brain literally shuts off. It's a true story true story. Now, that doesn't mean I'm defending their actions. That when you think, well, what were they thinking? They weren't. Okay. I mean, but it's it's true. This is what happens. And I just want to help you today. And I'm just telling you that escalation is a life taking form of communication. It does not work. And you know it because every time you're in traffic and you communicate with that person that cut you off, you never feel better, right? I mean, you feel even worse and you just keep yelling at them and you're bringing the whole incident in your mind and then you're bringing that home to your family and everything. It it does not help the situation. Escalation, life-taking form of communication. Here's number three, belittling, belittling. I've already lowered myself by being in this crazy fight to begin with, and I can't raise myself to another level like I should, so I'll just lower you so I feel like I'm still on top. That's belittling. That's why people are very critical. It's an insecurity issue. Belittling, it's insecurity. In all honesty, it's out of control in our country right now. People say, I can't keep up with you, so i got to do my best to drag you down. It's kind of weird in our society because we value success, yet we hate successful people. Tom Brady, anybody? Right? I mean, we can't stand that brother, but he's successful. You know what I'm saying? If he played on your team, then all of a sudden you'd love the guy. But because he's on those... Well, we won't go there, but... We're insecure about ourselves, and so we belittle other people. I'm not trying to negate your feelings. I understand that feelings are not always right, but they are always real. What you're feeling is very real, but it doesn't make it right. It's not an excuse to try and hurt somebody else. I know of a couple who were in an argument. They started with withdrawal. You know, they kind of 
isolating themselves from one another, but they had to be in a vehicle together. They were going on a trip together, and uh, the husband, not wanting to miss an opportunity, happened to see some goats and cows and pigs on the side of the road on a, uh, as a, at a farm as they were driving by, and uh, he quips off to his wife, hey, relatives of yours? She says, yep, in-laws. Right? <laughs> Ooh, not good. Men, don't. Don't go there, okay? Belittling, you're not equipped for that conversation. Uh, Life-giving, life-taking, belittling is a life-taking form of communication, okay? Last one, number four. False belief. False belief, this is a big one. This is a big deal. Uh, And I'll tell you why it's dangerous. Not only is because this is hard to come back from, mistrust is hard to come back from, but moreover, this is demonic, John chapter 8, not in your notes, says the devil is the father of all lies. In other words, the moment you start mischaracterizing people, gossiping, spreading rumors, lying, you've allowed the devil to enter into your speech. Certainly all of these things are demonic because they're life-taking. The devil is about taking life, and God is about bringing life and letting you have life to the full. But... Uh, without a doubt, false belief and not trusting one another is the goal of the devil in your relationships. He wants to isolate you, to get you thinking that nobody's worth trusting. Why does he want you to believe that? Because you're weaker by yourself. It's hard to resist temptation when you don't have anybody backing you up. So what can we do about all of these things. Well, I've come to realize that the greatest relationships in our lives all have an understanding of what the other person needs. And in order for us to uh, understand what the other people need in life, in my experience with uh, coaching and, and just uh, leading people, it's that people need to realize that uh, we need to tell them what, uh, not, I don't need to tell you what not to do, I need to tell you what you can do instead. So this is what we don't do. We don't, we don't take life with our communication. We need to give life with our communication. Well, how do we do that, Pastor? Number one, praise. We're going to praise people with our communication. You've heard me say that you've got to become an expert in your spouse's strengths. Well, not only do you need to be an expert in your spouse's strengths, you need to be an expert in every area of your life. The people in your life you need to be an expert in their strengths. Your kids' strengths, your friends' strengths, your coworkers' strengths, employees' strengths. You need to learn what other people do well, and then listen, praise them for it. Tell them they're doing a good job. Don't rob somebody of an unspoken blessing. People think in their life, well, they, they know how I feel about them. They understand that I appreciate them. No. Tell them, hey, good job. Hey, I believe in you. Hey, I love what you're wearing today. Hey, you look great. Love your hair that color. Whatever it is. But use praise. Use life-giving responses. Now, I don't normally single out ministries in our church, but I want to single out one because there's no greater need in any church than in a kid's ministry. And I'll tell you why. Because praise is so rare in our world today, we need people back there letting the kids know that, hey, we believe in them. This church believes in them. God believes in them. You believe in them. You tell them you have an opportunity to do something great in Jesus' name. 
Come on, somebody. Like, kids need to hear this stuff. We have no idea what they're hearing in school or at their homes or wherever they're at. We don't know that praise is getting communicated. So we get an opportunity to praise kids and, and give life to the little children. There's a chance that they won't get it anywhere else. All right? Proverbs 25.11 Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. The author saying, praise is like a treasure. It adds value. What does money do to your life? It adds value to your monetary life. Well, praise adds value to you as an individual, as a human being. Praise adds value to your life. You could be that for somebody. Use praise in how you communicate with them. Number two, say thanks. You want to speak life into people? Say thank you. Do me a favor. Ten times today, try and say thank you to somebody. You're going to go out to eat uh, after church today. Tell your waitress, thank you. When you get your food, food, say thank you. When you pay the bill, say thank you. Tell them, praise them. Hey, you're doing a really great job. Thank you. Be gracious. Leave them a good, godly tip. Say, I didn't want to serve myself. Thank you for serving me today. You know what I'm talking about? Bible says, give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances. Even when they didn't do a good job serving you. I think all circumstances would include that time too. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You should have an attitude of gratitude. Like it should just radiate out of you. You should be the most grateful person on the face of the earth if you are a Christian. Why? Because your sins have been forgiven. When God looks at you, He sees not you. He sees His Son Jesus living in you. How can you not be grateful for that? How can you not be grateful that you're going to spend an eternity in heaven and it's not some ridiculous cloud harp heaven. It's an amazing, wonderful place that God intended the world to look like before sin entered it. Thank you. This is what you have to be grateful for. And this should just radiate out of your life. You should be grateful no matter what because I've read through this book a few times and I don't understand everything I've read, but here's what I do understand, that we win in the end. And so if you're not winning, then it ain't the end. You can keep going. You know what I'm talking about? Be grateful in life. How great is it that you just woke up this morning, uninjured, some of you. Some of y'all in boots and casts, and I see all that, but, you know, do what you got to do. Be grateful anyway, all circumstances. Number three, use affection. Use affection. Terms of endearment. This is critical to life-giving communication. I don't know how this got started in our world. Researchers argue different things. I'm sure it's always been a problem. But men specifically have a hard time at showing affection. It's not manly to show your feelings or whatever. And admittedly, this is the hardest for me. But what has happened in your heart that would prevent you from telling the people in your life, I love you? Right? I mean, you've got to be able to communicate that. I don't know if you feel like you're protecting yourself, but the truth is you're hurting yourself. If you're not using affection, that's life-taking. It's not life-giving. Tell the people in your life you love them. If you're a parent and can't tell your kids that you love them, you're perpetuating the problem. 
How hard is it going to be for them to then be able to tell their kids? You see what I'm saying? It's a vicious cycle. If you're a spouse, you can't tell your spouse, baby, you look great today. Man, I love you in those jeans. Mm, hate to see you go, but love to watch you leave, girl. You know what I'm saying? Mm, terms of endearment. Now, you might be thinking, Pastor, I... You know, I hear what you're saying. It's not that big of a deal, though, for me. You know, I don't need affirmation. My partner shouldn't need affirmation anyway, either. Right? Let me tell you why this is a big deal. This is a big deal to God. Okay, check this out. Jeremiah 31.3. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. He's saying with open arms, I'm bringing you in. I'm hugging you tight. This is the God of the universe saying that about His people. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're in that family. God's modeling for us what we should be doing with each other. So just for a second, can I take a moment to say real quickly, I love all of you. I think you are the greatest church in the history of the world. You're generous. You sacrifice. You serve. I believe that you're on mission. I think something great is going to happen in here in Jesus' name because there's power in this room. Right? Love what you guys bring to the table every single Sunday at New Anthem. Do something great. But you've got to be life-giving in your speech. Use terms of endearment. Affirmation. Okay, number four. Along with that. Speak the truth in love. Okay, speak the truth in love. Just remind you that love is not intimidation. Love is not condemnation. It is not proud. It is not self-seeking. It's patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. Let me tell you this way. Truth without love is mean. Love without truth is meaningless. Truth and love are momentous. It causes movement. It's a big deal. It generates change. It fosters change. Love and truth together. People are better when love and truth are working in sync with one another. This is Ephesians 4.15. Instead of life-taking communication, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Jesus Christ. We're trying to change how we think about communication. And God says if we want to work on us, our relationships, then we got to start with me. And so we need to learn how to praise each other. We need to learn how to say thank you, give affection, speak the truth in love. Finally, perhaps the most overlooked, number five is prayer. You want a life-giving form of communication? It's prayer. Now the Christian thing to say to people is, oh, I'll be praying for that. I'm going to pray for you, and we never actually do it. What if, instead of that, we just said, right now, can we, can we pray? Like when somebody tells you something, can we say, hey, can we just take a second and pray for that right now? And then do it. See, prayer is forcing yourself to think about someone who you otherwise wouldn't. 
Why is that a big deal? Because God said the greatest commandment in all the world was to love Him, but the second is like it is to love your neighbor as yourself, which means you can't love God if you aren't loving people, even unlovely people. And so we have to force ourselves to be in relationship with those people, and prayer is an absolutely wonderful time to do that. And you ask God to help you love them, help you work in them. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Never stop praying. Never stop praying. Never stop thinking about the people that God has brought into your life. Now, I'm going to pray to end our service, but before I do and before you shut your Bibles and, and tune me out, listen very closely. If you get nothing else, I say I want you to get this. The majority of our, our communication problems could absolutely 100% be solved if we just took the time to sit down in front of that person face to face. But for whatever reason, we've decided in our chaotic schedule that that's not something that we're willing to do. And because it can get uncomfortable and because it can get awkward, but people like to do now is just, you know, do the text or the email. And and the reason why they want to do that is because they want to control the conversation. They want an escape if things get difficult. What's an escape? Well, I'm sure you've got an email or a text and you read it and you can picture the person in your mind typing out whatever it is you're reading and you're reading it in your mind with their voice. And if you don't like it, you confront them on it and they're like, oh, that's not what I meant at all. You're reading too much into that. Has that happened to you before? That's what I mean when I say an escape. They wanted it away because they couldn't clearly articulate their feelings. They were being, you know, a little bit facetious or whatever within that con- condescending uh, is a better word. And so they wanted a way out. They wanted to be able to defend a position that they never intended to take. And what happens when they do that? Mistrust, belittling, escalation, withdrawal, all the life-taking forms of communication. Whereas if you'll just get with somebody and look them in the eye and hear what's really going on in their life, all this communication could be avoided. All this miscommunication could be avoided. You know, hurting people hurt people. It's hard to not notice hurt when you're sitting down in front of them and hearing their story. Bottom line, your words are creating the relationships you have right now. You've either got life-giving relationships or you've got life-taking relationships. And can I just tell you, life's too short to be taking life out of anything. So why take it out of the forms of your communication? Be life-giving in how you communicate. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to come and gather in this place. Hear from your word. God, we believe that you're the author and designer of relationships. You've told us that that's a big deal to you, that we've got to love our neighbor as ourself. So we're just asking you right now to do what only you can do and convict us where we need to be convicted. Show us how we can better communicate in our world. God, we don't want to wreck our homes. We don't want to wreck our schools. We don't want to wreck our jobs. We need to realize a big deal, and that is communication. How we're communicating matters. What we say matters. It's either life-giving or it's life-taking. God, let us be a people of life-giving encouragement, praise, affirmation. Help us. Say thank you. Help us speak the truth in love. 
And when given the opportunity, God, let us pray for each other. We believe you have the power to change things, God, and we're asking you right now to change how we think about communication. If you're here this morning and for the very first time you're hearing about Jesus and how He loves you and He wants this relationship with you, what you've got to hear me say is He died for you. The Bible says if you just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that you can be saved from your sins. This is God's plan for your life. This is the one story that your Bible tells. Is that Jesus and God, the Holy Spirit, all want to be in a relationship with you. And so I just invite you right now, if that's you, I want to give you an opportunity to confess and believe. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've lived my life my way. Sorry I haven't done what you've asked. I've sinned. Please forgive me. Help me live a life for your glory. Change how I think. Make me new. I believe in you. Help me as I leave this place. I give you my life. God, we thank you for new life. We thank you for new opportunities. We just ask you to help each person as they leave this place today. Give them the power you've promised in the name of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen.